the hand of God in the glove of history. That's the beautiful way our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, describes God's providence in the book of Esther. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we continue our study. We left off last time with King Xerxes in despair over the very public disobedience of his wife, Queen Vashti. Well, seeing his depression, the king's servants suggested a beauty pageant to identify a new queen. What happens next? We'll find out in just a minute as we begin our study in Esther chapter 2, verse 4. Now, as you find your place, Greg and I have a quick update on some great things happening through God's Word in India. Yeah, Steve, we were in India not just uh, too long ago, yeah. and uh, we were in Bangladesh and in India. We shared a great, uh, encouraging report from Bangladesh. And and around the time of that trip, you and I weren't able to be there, but one of our leaders represented us at a celebration of the 150 languages of Through the Bible home groups. Yeah, and the pictures, although yeah. I wasn't there, yeah. the yeah. pictures were amazing. I mean, I've yeah. been in that area down in Chennai, Chennai. Yep. and uh, they have a large covered area. Yeah, 3,000 like people can fit into this Yeah, thing. massive thing. And to see that whole stage filled yeah. with all of those people representing all the different languages that Through the Bible is in was yeah. just it was wonderful. <laughs> it was. And the reason you and I missed it was we had some other very, very important meetings to to plan for the future of the home group ministry. So sometimes we do the hard stuff and, and we don't yeah. we let somebody else have some fun. But yeah. but we are getting such great feedback from the home groups. It's just as heartwarming. Uh you want to read this yeah. response? Yeah, this first one's from a Gondi listener. Remember, hundred and fifty languages in India alone. Gondi. Yeah. I am Cheyenne Kumar. I belong to the Hindu Advashi family. In my family, there are six members, my mother, my elder brother, his wife, and his two children. I am 30 years old and unmarried. For last two years, I would collapse for no reason. My brother took me to doctor, and he said that I was normal. My mother was very worried about my health, and she took me to the witch doctor, who tried everything he knew, but there was no change in my health. We spent a lot of money for my treatment, but no change was seen in me. In 2010, I came to Bilaspur to stay with my elder brother. I heard that my friend Sharavan was having a Christian fellowship in his house. I went there, and the pastor prayed for me. He even came to my home and prayed for me. Through his prayer, the Spirit of the Lord touched in my heart. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and joined their fellowship, regularly reading and listening to the Word of God. In this home group, I learned how to study the Word of God in systematic way and grow spiritually, and now I am a strong believer. I now collapse less frequently and feel better in my body and my spirit. And Steve, right before we hit record, we were talking yeah. about how the Lord is doing these things uh, where he's He's using the prayers of the people in the home groups to uh, to often bring healing to people. And yeah. we know, Dr. McGee, we agree with his teaching, that there's not a gift of healing, but when God chooses to heal, he can heal, and we see that. Now, uh, we have time, I think, for one more. Mm. Uh, this is from Telugu. I am 24 years old and a regular listener of your program. I join a group of people to listen. We have people of many tribes coming together. Isn't that interesting, Steve? Yeah. Many different tribes. Okay, it goes on. The program meets our spiritual needs. People who join us for the time always comment on the peaceful atmosphere as the fellowship starts. Through the Bible is what brought us to Christ through the program. We accepted Jesus as our Savior passionately and intensely. That is That's wonderful. awesome. 
Greg, let me, let me pray for us as we begin our study. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the fruit that we're seeing coming out of these home groups in India. 150 languages, Lord, and growing. I pray that you would continue to bless this ministry as it goes out, that you would bring people to yourself, just like the testimonies that we heard today, that people would understand your word in a systematic way, and that they would learn to love Jesus Christ and trust him as their savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee to lead our study of Esther on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we're coming back to this rather remarkable little book of Esther, and we have had occasion to call your attention here to that which almost sounded facetious in the first chapter, the wife who refused to obey her husband. And we were introduced into the great throne room and palace and banquet hall of the great king Xerxes of Media Persia, one of the great world rulers of a great world empire. And he was planning a campaign against Greece at that time. And this man had called in all of the leaders of the 127 provinces in his kingdom. And then there happened something that I'm sure he did not anticipate at all. His queen refused to come at his command. fact of the matter is he would never have commanded it had he not been drunk. She refused, and it revealed a family scandal. Something had to be done. The measures had to be taken, and she was set aside. This king then made his campaign against Greece. He came back home, retired in absolute humiliation and defeat. And in that state of mind, he paced up and down his palace every day. And so his servants, they wanted to do something to cheer the man up. They saw his loneliness, and they suggested a beauty contest. And the beauty contest brought in girls from all these different provinces. Now, we come today to the fourth verse of this second chapter, and I'm going to read it. And their thought was, And let the maiden who pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. We now come to the story in verse 5. All that we've had before has just been the window dressing, has been the stage props. We were taken into a pagan heathen court, and we were introduced to the happenings there for a very definite purpose. It explains this beauty contest, and the beauty contest explains how Esther came to the throne. And because Esther came to the throne, why, it enabled her to intervene and intercede in behalf of her people, and an entire people would have been exterminated at that time had she not been there. Now we begin to see that it was the hand of God moving back in this palace. As we looked in, I called attention to the fact I see nothing spiritual there. It's as godless as anything possibly could be. It's a drunken orgy that's taking place. But God's overruling it. And now we're beginning to see what this book teaches. 
It teaches the providence of God. And God was arranging these events so that at the proper time, he'd have someone there to intervene on behalf of his people. And that becomes very important. Now, somebody's going to raise the question about this beauty contest because they're going to say, well, Esther entered the contest. You mean to tell me God approves of beauty contests? Well, my answer is very candidly, no, I don't think he does. But my friend, when a child of God gets out of the will of God, gets way out yonder, God permits many things that he does not approve. And he will overrule through these events that the Christian is doing today that he does not approve. And again, it leads me to say this. One of the things that's important in the little book of Esther is to see that God does overrule and that most Christians today are living way out under on the fringe of the will of God. They're not really being directed by the will of God. They are not what we call in the will of God. They're way out there where God is directing them by his providence. And sometimes we call that the leading of God. Well, only indirectly. And this girl now that enters this contest is an illustration here of the permissive will of God. Now we are introduced to this man, Mordecai. And he belonged to the royal family of Israel. He belonged to the family of Saul, where also Kish was the father of Saul. And now this man belonged to that royal group. And one of the other evidences of it is verse 6, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And that delegation, actually, Nebuchadnezzar came three times against Jerusalem, and it was in these first two times that he came that he carried away the best of the people. That is, he carried away the princes and the leaders. Now, this man, Mordecai, belonged to that group. Apparently, as we shall see, he must have been a little boy at that time. But nevertheless, he belonged to that family, and he belonged to the family of Saul. Now, we are told here, he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther. And Hadassah and Esther mean the same thing. Esther means star, by the way, and she certainly was a star, apparently a very beautiful woman. And we're told here that she was actually the stepdaughter of Mordecai. He brought up Adassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her for his own daughter. So he's raising this girl in his home, and she's a very beautiful girl. Now, he had a position here, in the palace, by the way, we are told that the first thing about him, he was in Shushan, the palace. And the question arises right here. The one question we'd like to ask him, what are you doing here in Shushan, the palace? You ought to be back there in Jerusalem. God has given a decree for your folk to return, and that's where you should be. And here you are in a foreign country. Why don't you get back there? 
Well, he's out of the will of God, you see. And the name of God won't be mentioned in this book. He's not here at all, not in name. But you'll see that his fingerprints are here. And not only that, but someone has defined providence as it's the hand of God in the glove of circumstances. And believe me, his hand's moving in the glove of circumstances. And friend, that's true in your life, and it's true in my life also. Now, he was in the palace. He had some minor position there. And in this minor position, he was able, though, to see these different girls as they came from the different sections of the empire. And he always made note of that, and I think made a comparison. I think he said to himself many times, well, that girl is not near as beautiful as my stepdaughter Esther is. And so as we move down through this section here, why, he is very much concerned now about entering her in the contest. And when he saw that she would be a winner, or at least he thought she would, he didn't know that, we are told, so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree were heard, and when many maidens were gathered together under Shushan the palace to the custody of Hegai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Hegai, keeper of the women. Now, this man had charge of the contest. And these girls came, and Mordecai saw that each day. And he came to the conclusion that his stepdaughter, Esther, had a good chance. So he entered her in the contest, and I'm sure that she was for it. Now, let's be very candid. I must say that at this particular juncture, I do not have too much respect for this man, Mordecai. But I want to hasten and say this to you. I'm going to change my mind, and I'll eat my words, and I wish I hadn't said what I'm saying now. But I despise him for what he's doing now. To begin with, he's disobeying God. God had told his people not to intermarry. He's definitely breaking the Mosaic law when he entered this girl with the idea she'd become the queen of the king. And then the second thing we'll discover that any girl that did not win had to enter the harem of the king. She became a concubine. We'll see that. Now, that's exposing this girl to an awful life, and he's willing to take that risk. And at this point, I do not have too much respect for Mordecai, but I want to say this now, lest you get a wrong impression. I'll change my mind fact of the matter is, before we're through, I feel like throwing my hat in the air and cheering him because I think he took a stand for God. And I think probably we're going to be able to see that next time. Now, let's move on down in this section here. It's getting interesting now, I hope, because Esther's being entered into the contest. She's turned over to the one in charge, he got. Now, verse 9, and the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness from him. And he speedily gave her her ointments for beautification. Women haven't changed either. And there was a great deal of makeup used. And I hope no one's going to take issue with me about the use of makeup and about whether she should enter this contest. Now, very candidly, I don't think she should have entered the contest. And we're going to find out she didn't need makeup. There are a great many extremists in this department today 
A dear lady came to me when I was pastor in downtown Los Angeles, and I taught down there in the institute. She came to me one day, and she thought that some of the girls there were using too much makeup. And she said that she didn't think a Christian ought to use makeup. And, of course, she put me out on a limb and says, what do you think? Well, I said, very candid, let's go into who the woman is. I said, I know some women that makeup would improve them. And I think we all ought to do the best we can with what God's given to us. And I says that some women that don't use makeup look like witches to me. She took that personally. And I want to add this. She had a reason to do that, too. Uh, I felt like saying to her, a little makeup lady would improve you a great deal. Now, I hope you don't want to argue about that, because all of this is actually out of the will of God, but God is permitting this, and it's by his providence now that she has been accepted by this man in charge. I think when he looked at her, he liked her very much, and he said, boy, she looks like a winner. So he put her up front, and that was a step. And you say, well, that's an accident. Oh, no, friends. God, by his providence, overrules down here in our lives. Now, there was given to her such things as belonged to her and seven maidens who were suitable to be given her out of the king's house, and he removed her and her maidens unto the best place of the house of the women. Now, that's by the providence of God. She's put up in number one slot. Now, verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people nor her kindred for Mordecai had charged her that she should not make it known. Now, suppose she'd made it known. Well, these people were well known in that area. They were people who, we'll find out later, their enemies said they got strange laws. And they worshiped the living and the true God. They did not worship idols. And that was known in the minute that she'd reveal her nationality, she would reveal her religion. And these people are out of the will of God. And when you are, you don't boast of your testimony. When you're out of the will of God, you're not apt to be a testimony for the Lord. Remember old Jonah on board that ship running away from God? He hadn't told them he was a Hebrew. You know why? Because he'd given himself away and he wasn't about to do that. And he's quite a talkative fellow himself, by the way. Now, Mordecai told her not to reveal who she was. Now, will you notice, and Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now, I have been told that when you're in the will of God, that you can just sit back and rest and that you can, you know, say, well, I'm in the Lord's will and we'll let things just work out. Well, when you're not in the Lord's will, you're not going to be able to take that position. If you do, it'll sure be a false position. And Mordecai knew that he was out of the will of God. And so what did he do? Sit down and wait for the decision? No. Every day he walked up and down in front of the palace, wondering how this thing would come out, wondering whether if he hadn't made a terrible blunder and mistake in doing this. And he had already bitten his fingernails back to his elbows. He is absolutely frightened of the thing that he's done, and he's worried sick. He's not sleeping at night, that is for sure. That's the condition of Mordecai. And when you're out of the will of God, you're not apt to rest back on your laurels and say, everything will be all right, I'm the will of God. Now, I recognize some people 
deceive themselves on that. I remember a man that had cancer, and his wife rather rebuked me for not trusting the Lord. She said, we are resting in the Lord, and the Lord won't let him die, and all that type of thing. And that you're not trusting the Lord because you've been going to the doctors and you're resting on them. Well, the only difference is he's not alive today, and I still am. I believe that you can be in the Lord's will and go to the doctor, and I can assure you that's what I intend to do. And this idea of taking a false position and calling it faith, sometimes faith is not faith at all. It's foolishness. And God has never asked anyone to take a leap in the dark. Faith always rests upon facts. And here, this man's definitely out of the will of God. He hasn't anything to rest on at all. Now, will you notice verse 12? Now, when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after she had been 12 months, according to the regulations for the women, for so were the days of their beautification accomplished to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with balms for the beautifying of the women. Now, I've always felt that beauty parlors are misnamed. I tell my wife, you go in there looking, I think, very good, and you come out looking like a peeled onion, or you look like the end of a mop that has been overused. I wouldn't want to call them beauty parlors. And I know that there are many men that spend a lot of time waiting for their wives. My wife can spend a long time in a beauty parlor. But my friend, here we have six months for one type of treatment, six months for another. That's one year in a beauty parlor. And I told my wife one day when I waited 40 minutes outside and I hadn't come until, well, the time she'd sat. And I still waited 40 minutes. And when she came out, I said, my, you must be Queen Esther to spend that much time in a beauty parlor. Well, this is quite a beauty treatment, friends, one year. Now will you notice, verse 13, Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening she went. On the next day she returned unto the second house of the women. Now listen to this. To the custody of Sheazgaz, the king's chamberlain who kept the concubine. You see, if the girl didn't win the contest, she became a concubine. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she was called by name. You see what Mordecai had exposed Esther to? And apparently she was perfectly willing to do this. Now we're told in verse 15, Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her to his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Hegai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them who looked upon her. Now, it was decided that Esther did not need to have a year's beauty treatment. Hers was a natural beauty. And they said, my, that's like gilding a lily to send her to the beauty parlor. She's already beautiful and lovely. And everyone that saw her, they said, my, there's a winner. <laughs> that's the girl that's going to win. She just stood out above everyone else, you see. And again, is the hand of God moving? Yes. 
and this is the will of God? No, sir. This is God moving by his providence. He's going to put her yonder on the throne next to the king because if she's not there, their whole nation is going to be destroyed. Not only that, God will be violating his word. And you want to know something? God never violates his word. Now, the time has come for her to go in before the king. And what's the answer going to be? Well, not only is it time for her to go before the king, it's time for us to get off the air. And this is the place to stop, right where it's a cliffhanger. And I know all of you will probably not sleep tonight wondering how this thing's going to come out. So until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Well, if you're one of those who, as Dr. McGee described, will lose sleep waiting to hear how the story works out, I suggest you go ahead and read Esther 2, verses 16 to chapter 3, verse 6, in preparation for our next study. Our reading schedule is available anytime at ttb.org, or you can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll send you one on a bookmark. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here to find out what happens next. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.